Being the person that I am, I often marvel at the complexity and enormity of the natural world. Consider for a moment the Mississippi River. This river discharges almost 4.5 million gallons of water per second, but it doesn't actually start out that way. So I got to wondering what I would find if I went upstream. Where does this river actually come from? Well, one day I was sitting by the creek below my cabin and I got to wondering the same thing. What would I find if I went upstream? Well, finding the answer to that question created quite an adventure that resulted in a close encounter with a really big bear. So stay tuned if you want to hear that story and find out why thinking upstream is so vital to our sustainability. Welcome to the Adventures in Sustainable Living podcast. Your host has lived an off-grid, sustainable lifestyle for over 20 years. His homestead is run on solar energy. He has an earth shelter greenhouse and produces much of his own food. And all of this takes place in the middle of the forest in Colorado. Now, let's join Patrick, the man that not only teaches the skills of sustainable living, but lives that life every day. Welcome back, everyone, to the Adventures in Sustainable Living podcast. This is your host, Patrick, and this is episode 83, which is called Thinking Upstream. Once again, I would like to remind everyone that if you need to contact me with questions, comments, or even suggestions for content, especially if there's something that you would really like to hear about, then you can contact me at adventuresinsustainableliving at gmail.com. Again, that is adventuresinsustainableliving at gmail.com. So let's get right down to today's topic, which is thinking upstream. First of all, you have to know that I am really not a stay-at-home type of person, You could even say that I'm a little bit restless, I get bored easily, but I enjoy challenging myself. And this, of course, occasionally results in a a few little shenanigans in my world. But it is this attitude and this personality that resulted in my going to veterinary school. That is why I have lived and worked in multiple different countries. That is why I am also a scuba diving instructor. It seems that I always want to be outside, and that is the very reason I have not watched television in over 20 years. I am so busy investigating and experiencing the natural world and digging up new adventures. And that is why I love so much the fact that I live in the middle of the forest. But you know, about 26 years ago, I purchased some acreage in the mountains southwest of Denver and it was simply a plot of raw land and this is where I still live these days. There's now a greenhouse, a cabin, a chicken barn, as well as some other things. And anyway, after owning the property for several years, I was sitting down by the creek which is at the bottom of the ridge below the cabin and I started wondering about where does this creek actually come from? 
Where does it start? So it turns out that the headwaters of this creek are actually very high in the mountains. And after making several unsuccessful attempts to find the headwaters because of deep snow, I decided to take another route. I hiked south over a different ridge to another creek, thinking that maybe the two of these creek ran together and, well, that was my first mistake. At any rate, I walked for several hours through the forest, climbing to a higher and higher elevation as the creek grew progressively smaller. A couple of hours into my adventure, I just stopped and thought, well, I didn't know exactly where I was, but I also just rationalized that I could always just follow the creek and return on the same path. But before I knew it, the creek disappeared underground just before reaching Timberline. So I stopped and I took a good look around and to make sure that I knew my landmarks and decided to climb the rest of the way up the ridge. So I sat on top of this ridge for several hours having lunch and enjoying the view. And just before noon, I decided to head back home in order to avoid the afternoon thunderstorms. I spotted the creek at Timberline and followed it. And after about an hour, the creek disappeared underground. And that is when I realized I had taken the wrong drainage. That was my second mistake for the day. I sat for a moment in trying to decide what to do. And after all, I wasn't really lost. I just didn't know exactly where I was. So I retrieved my compass from my pack and decided to walk directly east for two hours, then turn directly north. And that should get me back approximately where I started. So my challenge began when the terrain kept getting steeper and steeper, and I ended up hiking into a very narrow gorge that was quite steep and completely unforgiving. And after struggling for a couple hours and pretty much getting nowhere fast, I was getting pretty darn tired. So I took my pack off and I rested on a nice flat rock to eat lunch. Thinking out loud to myself, I asked, could this day possibly get any worse? Well, asking that question was my third mistake. That was about the time I heard something in the rocks a few feet over my head and I turned to look only to find myself nearly face to face with a really big bear. As I slowly reached in my pack for a weapon, my first thought was, well, this day just got worse. Fortunately for me, the bear quickly lost interest and left. At least that was my conclusion, but maybe I just smelled really bad. But you better believe I spent the rest of the day looking over my shoulder. And a couple of weeks later on another hike, I finally found where the creek started. And it turns out there is a really large underground spring high in the mountains that first forms a lake. And the drainage from that lake is what forms the stream. And on the way down the mountain, another large stream connects, which results in the nice active stream that I see every single day. So after my funny little adventure, whenever I sit by the stream down below the cabin, 
I picture that nice pristine lake in my head and I feel some sense of accomplishment and I now enjoy my little stream even more because I know where it comes from and what goes on upstream. So now for a moment, let's circle back to the Mississippi, which has a downstream flow rate of 4.5 million gallons per second. This mighty river has its humble beginnings in Lake Itasca State Park in Minnesota. It starts as a small stream draining from the lake and then flows 2,348 miles to the Gulf of Mexico. It actually drains 33 states and the watershed of the Mississippi covers nearly 50% of the United States. So it's kind of interesting to think that the beginnings of this enormous river resembles nothing of what it becomes downstream. Had I never taken the time and effort for a nice adventure, I never would have known what goes on upstream from the cabin. But now I do, and I have a great appreciation for it, and that lake has become one of my favorite spots for a quick weekend hike. But it is much the same for those that live along the Mississippi River. Most people just see the river and they have no idea where and how it starts. They only seem to have a downstream perspective. But if they only thought about what goes on upstream, they might even visit Itasca State Park, become familiar with the humble beginnings of that enormous river that influences their lives every single day. They may even develop an appreciation for the fact that the mighty Mississippi starts out as a pristine lake from clean, clear springs and multiple other small creeks. What starts out as small slowly builds momentum and then becomes an enormous giant. But when you actually take the time and to, to think about it, the same is true with how many of us live day to day. We only seem to have this downstream perspective and we hardly ever consider what goes on upstream that creates the things that influence our daily lives. We only enjoy the end product that creates enormous ease and convenience. What we practice every day is downstream thinking because that is the only thing that we see. We purchase something and eventually throw it away. But the problem is that there is no way. If you do the responsible thing, you will recycle. Better yet, you will make sure that what you purchase in the first place is recyclable. But recycling will never, ever be enough. We have to go further than that. We have to start thinking upstream. For example, most people that want to purchase a house work directly with a real estate agent and even with modern technology and the internet, we're able to shop online and basically pick out the one that we want or the one that we want to see. But the average person has no idea what actually went into building that house. And the only thing most people see, of course, is the end product. But if you have construction experience, you can walk through a house and 
You know exactly what it took to build that, and you know exactly what you're looking at. But then we have to start thinking even further upstream than even that. The timber had to be harvested and transported to the mill to be processed into lumber. It had to be sold at market, transported to the retail location that sells the lumber. Then all the materials had to be transported to the construction site, all the lumber, the concrete, the drywall, electrical supplies, roofing materials, and plumbing. Sand, metals, and rock all had to be mined in order to make the materials that go into the house. Not to mention the fact that every square inch we inhabit used to be wilderness at some point. So when you think of your house from that perspective, you finally start to realize just what an impact that a single residence can have on the environment. But let's get even simpler than that. Let's get even simpler than the house that you live in. So you turn on the faucet in your home and the water comes out. That water had to be pumped out of an aquifer, a lake, a river, or some other source. It had to be purified and disinfected at a processing location. Then it travels through water mains provided by the city or town or whatever organization provides the infrastructure. All the things that go into providing you with clean, fresh water produces carbon emissions and pollution. Not to mention the fact that our entire environment is now contaminated with what is being called forever chemicals, with industrial agricultural pollutants, and with the very things that you spray on your lawn on a regular basis. And this does not even include the bottled water that we purchase. So on average, we purchase 42.6 billion gallons, of, or I'm sorry, bottles of water annually, and only 29% of those bottles ever get recycled. The rest ends up in landfills, which eventually breaks down into microplastics, which are now so ubiquitous in the environment that these plastic particles have been found on the top of Mount Everest and even in the polar ice caps. So there's one thing that we all do every single day, and we never even give it any thought. You flip a switch in your house and the light comes on. Why? Why does that happen? It is because someone had to mine the coal, the natural gas, or the petroleum to run the power plants that produce electricity. Someone had to mine the radioactive materials that end up in the nuclear power plants. So whether it is fossil fuels or nuclear, energy is needed to run the steam turbines that produce the electricity that eventually comes into your home. This entire process destroys the environment and produces even more carbon emissions that are causing climate change just so you can have the convenience of flipping a switch and instantly having light. You turn the key to the ignition in your car, truck, or SUV, and the engine starts. Well, how does that happen? Someone had to drill for the oil that ends up at the refinery to make petroleum products such as gasoline. The United States imports billions of gallons of gasoline annually. 
petroleum products that get shipped across the ocean in tankers that can hold as much as 14 million gallons. We use energy to harvest. We use energy to refine. We use energy to ship it across the ocean. We use energy to distribute petroleum products across the country. Then we fill up our vehicles with a device that burns gasoline and pollutes the environment again. This is a perfect example of pollution and environmental degradation along the entire life of a product. Then just take it one step further and consider the electronic products that we repeatedly purchase. They only last so long due to planned and built-in obsolescence. We then throw them away and buy another one. These products contain plastics, precious metals, and batteries that can take hundreds to thousands of years to degrade. Our trash is then shipped to a third world country for recycling or disposal. Then someone has to mine even more precious metals and make even more plastics because of our insatiable appetite for the latest and greatest iPhone or some other electronic gadget. But what about the food that we eat? Think about all of the non-essential food that is shipped across the globe. All of those non-seasonal items that we insist on eating. We are now at the point to where roughly two-thirds of our fresh fruit and one-third of our vegetables are now imported. Just simply think about the environmental benefits of eating locally and seasonally and even taking the time and effort to produce food for yourself at home. And take a moment and consider the things you throw away without ever giving it a thought. The vegetable cans, the aluminum cans, the glass bottles. Every time you throw something like this away, someone has to go mine the materials, process the raw products, transport it to the manufacturing plant, and make yet another food container because you could not take the time and effort to recycle. Now, this, this may sound somewhat ridiculous, but I was actually standing in a supermarket a few months ago and reading the label on a can of soup, which I, you know, I do this all the time. And I was simply asking myself where all of those ingredients came from. Were they harvested sustainably? Where did the steel come from that's ma that made the can that the soup was actually in? So my whole point in this episode is really truly to get people to realize that you have to start thinking upstream because this is truly the only way we are ever going to make a difference. You have to understand why the simple things in life that we do every day affects far more than our wallets. You have to understand why leaving the lights on and constantly leaving unused electronic devices plugged in has a detrimental effect. You have to understand why you really shouldn't leave the water running. You have to consider the true end result of spraying your lawn with chemicals 
or using toxic products to clean your house that gets flushed down the drain and into our water supply. You know, most people these days, as we go about our daily lives, we never really stop to think that we truly live in this age of information. We have access to literally hundreds of years of knowledge simply at our fingertips. So these days, ignorance is really truly a choice. We no longer have the luxury of waiting for someone to take us by the hand and explain the consequences of the choices that we make every day. Now, we can sit and wait for that if you want, but in the meantime, big business is going to continue to rake in billions of dollars in profits. The environmental degradation will continue, and they are going to point the finger at us and always say, well, this is what you wanted. The simple fact is that we are going to have to change the way we live. We have to start making conscientious choices in what we do every day. And the only way big business is going to get the picture is if we say no. Having a more sustainable lifestyle starts with the realization that we are responsible for everything that we do and everything that we choose not to do. Several months ago, I asked myself the question, if there was any one thing that I could do that did not impact the environment? It turns out that the answer to that was no. That is the realization that you have to come to. Everything you do has an impact, not only immediately, but also far upstream from the very things that you do every day. If you are going to make a difference, if we are ever going to make a difference, if we are ever going to have a positive impact, we are going to have to start thinking upstream. And thinking upstream means that we solve problems before they happen. So you have to ask yourselves if convenience is truly more important than our future existence on this planet. So I want to give you just one last example before closing this episode. But I also have to point out that I cannot take credit for this because this example comes from a, a class on waste reduction and I looked and looked and looked and tried to find the source of this quote once again, but I was unsuccessful in doing so because I really truly wanted to give proper credit for this quote. But anyway, it says, It is pretty amazing that our society has reached a point where the effort necessary to extract oil from a refinery, turn it into plastic, shape it appropriately, truck it to a store, buy it, and bring it home, is considered to be less effort than what it takes to just wash the spoon when you're done. So folks, it truly is time to think upstream. It is the only way we are going to make a difference. It starts with conscientious refusal. 
Because after all, what starts out small builds momentum and then slowly becomes an enormous giant. I truly believe that the problems with humanity started when we became convinced that the earth belongs to us. The solution will come when we accept the fact that we actually belong to the earth. This is your host, Patrick, signing off until next week. Always remember to live sustainably because this is how we build a better future.